My dear friends, we are so happy to be spending Christmas Eve and the Christmas season with you. And on behalf of the Board of Trustees, the practitioners, and our wonderful staff, we wish you the happiest of Christmas, the most blessed New Year, and any and all other festival lights that you are celebrating this year. And we would like to offer to you and your family and those whom you love and those whom you receive love from the gift of joy, the gift of love, and the gift of peace. So I've been thinking about an article that I read by Diana Butler Bass in which she talks about, you know, probably the first time any of us have heard the Christmas story where it really made sense. And that was from a Charlie Brown Christmas. And do you remember when the, when the story is going on that Charlie Brown asks, what is the meaning of Christmas? And Linus gives this beautiful, beautiful sermon that really comes from the Gospel of Luke. And I think for myself, that was probably the first time the Christmas story made sense to me. And maybe it does for you as well. And you know, I, I think about the Gospels as uh, particularly the Christmas stories, or actually even the opening of them, as preludes to what the entire story that that author is talking about. And it's interesting because in the Gospels, the four of them, only two of them give a Christmas narrative, and they're both very different. Mark doesn't give a Christmas story. He starts right in with the baptism of Jesus and his ministry. John doesn't give a Christmas story. He gives this very mystical telling that's very similar to the poems in the book of Genesis about light and creation and the beginning of Logos. Paul doesn't give a Christmas narrative at all. Matthew gives one. And in his story, you have the Magi and you have the flight to Egypt. And you have Jesus as sort of the new Moses. Luke doesn't tell those things at all. Luke tells a very different story. He tells a story that is filled with hope and wonder for all creation. But he also gives a withering indictment to power and empire. The very message of Luke is, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. And I love that one. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful story if you think about it, because in this story, Jesus, who is the, the Christos, the coming one, the anointed one, is not born in a palace. He's born in a barn. He's not the child of royalty. He's a child of an unwed mother and a working class man that are living in an occupied land. He's not, the, uh, he's not considered mighty, but lowly. And those that are the witness to this wondrous and miraculous event are shepherds, not the learned, not the philosophers, not the academians, not the royalty shepherds. 
And it is those who witness the appearance of messengers from the divine and have this, this scene where the entire sky is lit up with angelic beings singing and praising. Um, it's just this marvelous, wonderful thing. But what's important to Luke is who's there and who's not there. David Stendhal Das writes this. He says, eyes see only light, ears hear only sound, but a listening heart perceives meaning. So my invitation to you is to consider this. What is the meaning from the ear of the heart, the eye of the heart? What is the meaning that you perceive in this Christmas story? You know, I'd like to share some thoughts that I have about it. And it really comes from three, three Christmas songs. And, uh, and they're kind of meaning to me, what they trigger in me, but also how they sit with the collective. And the first song is the one that you heard Lee Coulter sing at the beginning of our service. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And it comes from a 1941 or 42 film, Meet Me in St. Louis. And it was sung by Judy Garland. And what's interesting about that song is, is you know, it fits into the contents of a, of a turn of the century family living in St. Louis. And there's some zany things that are kind of going on. But it was written and produced during the Second World War. And it said that when Judy Garland was first heard singing the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, people cried in the movie theaters because there was a, a sense of nostalgia. It wasn't a normal Christmas, whatever that means. It was a Christmas with loss. It was a Christmas where there was fear. And there was a Christmas where there was a, a nostalgia. Oh, if we could just return to the way the things were, you know, to once again, as in olden days, happy golden days. There was grief. And you know, the power of grief is this, is that grief refuses to minimize the loss and sorrow of what has occurred. It accepts that there's loss and it accepts that there's suffering, but something grows from grief. And I think that many of us now are, are experiencing a level of grief. Those of us that live in California are watching, you know, our, our state almost on fire again from the virus. We're not being able to travel to see family and friends. Perhaps our incomes have been impacted. It's not like other Christmases. So there is this longing of a, of a yesteryear, a golden age of, of things. And there was another wartime movie. And that was uh, the movie, uh, oh, what was it called? It was called Holiday Inn. But the song is White Christmas by Bing Crosby. And the song was written, I think, in 1941 or 42 by Irving Berlin. And again, it's an, it's an interesting song because 
it's triggering something. It was in the Second World War as well. And people were dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones they used to have. It was one of the most popular songs ever recorded. Second only, I think, to a song by Elton John. But you know what's interesting? It was mostly played on the armed services ra radio, where soldiers in the field or families that were without their loved ones were, were listening to this. And it was a sound of, of remembering, of nostalgia. But there's something else about that song that triggers something for me. And, and often when I hear the song, I'll, I'll literally break down and cry. And it was about something called Operation Frequent Wind. 1971, when the horribly unnecessary and tragic Vietnam War was finally grinding to a close. And evacuation plans were, were uh, set so when the, um, the Americans and the supporters of the Americans and the Allies were, were evacuating Saigon as the People's Liberation Army of Vietnam was encroaching upon the city, there was a plan. And part of the plan was this, is that when you heard on the radio, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, you were to make your way to one of the designated spots that were in the plan so that the helicopters could evacuate from you from the city. So imagine this. It's April of 1975. It's hot. It's humid. The radio is saying it's going to be over 100 degrees today. And white Christmas is playing on the radio as helicopters are flying overhead and landing on the embassies and evacuating thousands of people in this strange and Kafkaesque sort of event that's going on. How interesting that at Christmas time, so much of our psyche has been flavored by the tragedy of war. Something that my teacher used to say, and it's something that I, I absolutely believe is this, is that war demonstrates the absolute collapse of our imagination. If war is the best idea we have, it's almost as if we've run out of ideas. And that brings me to the third Christmas song that you will hear in just a few minutes. And it's silent night, silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. And there's this incredible story that takes place in the battlefields of Europe at the beginning of the First World War in 1914. And there's a book called Silent Night uh, the story of the world wars and the Christmas truth written by a man by the name of Steinle Weintraub. And, and there's a powerful thing that begins to happen in this story that I want to share with you now. And that is that um, there was an impromptu piece on Christmas Eve night. What he writes is, it was impromptu. No one planned it. And then he goes on to say, it has to begin with something as, uh, as old and as interesting uh, as it did with the elements of a shared culture. What he says is that the story begins with the elements and the demonstrations 
of a shared culture. And certainly, if there wasn't a shared culture, there would not have been this incredibly magical Christmas Eve truce. What he says is, um, he says, it started with a German officer, a man by the name of Walter Krikhoff, a tenor in the Berlin Opera. And he came forward and sang Silent Night in German. And then he sang it in English. And in the clear, cold night of Christmas Eve, his voice carried very, very far. And then something happened. The shooting had stopped. And in the silent, he sang, and the British knew the song, and they sang back. And gradually, the troops crawled forward from the trenches. Uh, they moved into no man's land, and the guns were quiet. And they would not be quiet again until Armistice Day, November 11th, 1918. But something magic happened. Germans and English and French, they shared shots of brandy and chocolate. They showed pictures of their loved ones to one another. And there's even a, a, a scene where they're playing uh, soccer through the night. And these young men, against the wishes of their officers, had a spontaneous truce, the magic of a new imagination grabbed them. And in that moment, there was peace. And let's consider this. Again, if, if war is the collapse of the imagination, a new imagination can come forth, one that heretofore had not existed before. And it was peace. It was a peace even if it was for one night. And it didn't come from kings or princes or potentates or presidents. It didn't come from generals or people of rank. It didn't come from those who profit in the loss, in the suffering, and the violence, and the evil of war. It came from common men, working men, men and women who were often ignored or overlooked in the power of, of, of empire. And so the, um, the story holds something for us. One of the early, early church fathers, a man by the name of Anthenaeus, says this. He says, God became human so humans could become God. Love became human so that humans could become love. So let's go back to the very beginning. And surely today there is grief as there has been in times and times and times again. And surely today there is nostalgia for something that feels like it's been lost or taken from us. And surely there's a longing in all of our hearts for a, a semblance of something that is normal. Yet in all of this, there's an opportunity for a new imagination. You know, there's even a bit of a Christmas miracle here at the Hilltop Center. You know, it was so important to me that we were able to do Silent Night. And simply, I didn't know how we were going to do it. And then Kimmy came forward and volunteered. 
Gregory Douglas said yes. Ron Abel said yes. Michelle worked overtime. And Jamie, you know, just gave so much. And so we're able to do our candle lighting service tonight virtually because of the work that came together literally in the week before this Christmas Eve service. And so I just honor that. But, but again, let's create this imagination. Maybe even go back to, you know, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus gives us that beautiful Christmas service. But as we prepare to light our candles, as we prepare to sing and listen to the enchanting words of Silent Night, let us reflect on this, that there is an opportunity for something new. And what Christmas really symbolizes is not the presence, not the craziness, not the parties, but peace, peace, peace within our hearts, peace within our families, peace within our nation, and peace in the world. And so we read from the, the Gospel of Luke, as Linus says it. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the guest room or the inn. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them, and the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said, Do not be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful news, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is the Christ. And this is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great assembly of heavenly forces was with the angel and praising God. And they said, Glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace to among those whom he favors, and the divine favors all creation. The divine favors you and me and all that we know. Merry, Merry Christmas.